something strange happened at the end of the 30 minutes. I guess he ran out of words and he went, so how are you doing? And I was like, opportunity. I put myself, man, we're doing good. We got this going on. We're doing this. You know, people like that. Don't you just want to say to them, man, forget about you. Do you not want to say, man, there's bigger things than you. Right. So today we're going to talk about forgetting you. And sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, forget you. Right. When you're going through it. When you're whining like a baby, when you're having a crisis in your life, when things are breaking down and you want everybody to tattoo you sometimes and there's nobody when there's nobody to find to tattoo you or you, all your friends ran from you because they're tired of tattooing you. And you're left alone, you just need to go to the mirror and say, forget you. Because it's really not about you. Is it? But boy, we love for it to be about us, Right. Let's just be honest. You're in church this morning. You have to be honest. We just love it when it's about us. Right? I love taking care of me. Come on. How many of you are like that? Just love taking care of yourself. If I have a rough day, you know what that means for me? When I get home, I get an extra scoop of supper. Right? If there's a piece of meat, I get an extra portion. Why? Because I had a hard day. Right? And if there's bluebell, it's a couple extra scoops. Why? Because I deserve it. Come on, isn't it fun to take care of yourself? Right? We love taking care of ourselves. We love making things all about us, don't we? Go with me to the book of John. I want to show you something in the life of John the Baptist. John chapter 3. Go there with me quickly. And while you're going there, I, I, I almost passed this up. We need to pray for someone this morning. Um, it's Ricky. I think it's right or white, but he's out of uh, one of our churches. His daughter is actually, uh, she's 18 years old and she was on a sailing trip and she's lost at sea. They've searched like a million nautical miles and haven't found her. And her daddy is, is, uh, is, he's just standing firm that, that they just got off course and they're going to find her. She's 18 years old. She's lost in the, uh, off the coast of New Zealand. And so let's just pray for the, the right, I'm going to call them the right family. Let's just pray for the right family this morning. Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. And we say to Ricky's daughter, we say, be found in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would just organize a circumstance of events, Lord, that would just lead her to rescue we just ask you to rescue her, Lord. We ask you to save her. I pray that, Father, somebody stumbles across her. And I pray that, Father, you save her and you bring her back to her family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just continue to pray for them this week. I think it's been on the news and, and a few things like that. So, so you had John yet? All right, John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 22. I want you to see something in John the Baptist. He's tempted with, a, with an opportunity to make this all about him. John three twenty two is where we're going to start. John the Baptist, you know, was, was basically sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was in the wilderness baptizing people. And when Jesus came, he actually baptized Jesus. And those that were there got to see that Jesus was the Messiah. They, they, they seen what looked like a dove descending upon him, which was the Holy Spirit. And they heard a voice from God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
John the Baptist was the guy who was, he was a rough, rugged guy, but he was, he knew his job. He was, he was to go in to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And he was very good at it. And he did it with excellence. And he was standing in the river preaching the gospel. <laughs> repent. Repent. For the Messiah is coming. Repent. And so this is a little time after that. And, and Jesus was, was since baptized. And let's pick it up in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. So now Jesus is baptizing people. At this time, John the, Baptist, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anan near, near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Whoa. Did you see that? His disciples, John's disciples come to him and say, hey man, this guy that you baptized, that the one everybody says is the Messiah, he's baptizing over there too. And you know, everybody's going to him and nobody's coming to us. Can you see the temptation that John the Baptist was facing? Right? Listen, it's easy to get concerned about me. I have to work to be concerned about others. Right? It's something I have to make myself do. I wish it came natural, but I can be honest with you and say it doesn't. I want you to see John's reply. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Wow, isn't that good? But I want you to see something in John's response. John, I believe, could have responded three ways. And I don't know how to properly name those responses, but basically the first response could have been that John could have said, oh, no, nah, don't worry about that. That's no, nah, we're going to get our people back. The, the Jesus is going to do his thing, but our, our people are going to come back and we're going to baptize our own people. That's the first way he could have responded. The second way he could have responded is, is basically what I call a no response. He can say, oh, well, that's Jesus. You know, he's he's meant to do that. Don't don't worry about that, guys. Right. A lot of times we choose that, that one, right? Oh, it's, it's just Jesus. It's just a God thing. I just go to church. I just tithe. I just, yeah, I'm a Christian. Right? And we think that we've done some good by that. When actually that's what the Bible calls lukewarm. But John's response is, is he goes, hey guys, I told you. I made it very clear to you. I am not the Messiah. He said only he can only do that because it's a gift from God and he is sent from God. Are you following me? John puts himself in a place. He says, I'm just the best man. He's the bridegroom. You see in this. 
And he says, you know what? He needs to become greater and greater, and I need to become less and less. John set the record straight with his own disciples. He didn't just... He didn't just kind of try to smooth it over and hope that they would get it later. He nailed it down. Did you see that? He made it very clear. He said, no, let me tell you something. I am not the Messiah. How many times do we have to tell ourselves that? Maybe we need to start talking to ourselves. It's okay. It's not insanity unless you start answering yourself. So when you talk to yourself, just shut up and don't respond. Sometimes you need to say, I am not the Messiah. How many times in my life have I gotten to a point where I'm trying to do things in my own physical strength, in my own wisdom, which is very little, and in my own just, just smarts, in my own just way, and then I get busted and tired and frustrated, and then I finally go, ah. I remember one time being at that point and I went and prayed and I was mad at God because nothing was working the way I wanted it to work. And I sat down and prayed. I said, Lord, why am I so tired? Why is it so hard? And he simply said to me, because it's all about you. You're not giving me any room to give you grace. It's all about you and what you can do. And it's not about me. Can I be honest and say that's one of the hardest lessons I'm learning? <laughs> Is that it's really not about me. You know, one of the downfalls of being a big, physical, physically strong guy that can do a lot of things physically or sometimes mentally. Is that number one, people always call you to move furniture. But number two, you have a tendency to want to force things to happen your own way. Right? I mean, listen, if you don't act right, I can make you act right. One way or the other. I'm confident in that because I've done it so many times. But I got to get past that because it's not about me. It's about him. Are you seeing this? John says he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Verse 31, he says, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. Look at how he testifies about Jesus. Look at how he builds Jesus up to his disciples. This is what we need to be doing to our kids. This is what we need to be doing to our spouses. This is what we need to be saying to our co-workers and the little lady at the grocery store. Are you following me? We need to be testifying of how good Jesus is. Those words need to come out of our mouth. There is no one greater than Jesus. Number one, you need to convince yourself of that. And then you need to start testifying to others that there is none greater than Jesus. There's not a government program that will change your life like Jesus will. There's not enough rules and regulations to make you change. But Jesus can I love the way John just nails this down with his disciples because he changed his disciples thinking. He says,
says this, he says, we are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words for God gave him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. I mean, does it get any more clear than that? John had the opportunity to make it about him. He had the opportunity to get offended. And say, oh, that's just great. I baptize him and now he's baptizing everybody else. Don't he know he's supposed to be saving them and I'm supposed to be baptizing? What's his problem? You see that? He could have made it about himself. But I admire John for the way he testifies about Jesus. And I truly believe that in that day and in that moment, Jesus became greater in their eyes than John was. John was their spiritual father. John was their spiritual leader. He was the guy that they looked up to. And John made himself less and made Jesus more. Did you see that? Your kids need to see Jesus being greater in your life. You know, the, the, the funny thing about that is John says that he needs to become greater and greater. That means it's a process. That means it's ongoing. Are you following me? That, that doesn't mean that Jesus becomes great in John's life one time and that's it. And he lives off of that one great moment for the rest of his life. No, that's a mistake. It means that Jesus becomes greater and greater. In other words, John gets a greater revelation of who Jesus is. He gets greater experiences with Jesus. He gets to know Jesus more intimately. In other words, Jesus becomes greater and greater and greater in his life until the day he stands before him. And he's in all of his greatness. Are you seeing this? We should never, ever stop growing in Christ. I said it last week. God does not have a retirement plan. If you're not dead, you're not done. The question is, 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 are other people around you seeing Jesus get greater in your life? Are your kids seeing Jesus become greater in your life? Are they seeing that? Are they seeing change in you? Are the people around you seeing fruit being produced? Are they seeing you become less? Are they seeing you being humble? Or full of pride? Amen? You with me so far? It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Amen? To mature physically, we increase. But to mature spiritually, we decrease. Are you seeing that? In other words, the closer I get to Jesus, the less it becomes about me. Amen? And it's just funny that the less it becomes about me, I get to know more about Jesus. I'm a big old guy and I am constantly in the way. 
Sometimes I feel clumsy spiritually because I'm just kind of bobbling all over the place. And Jesus is like, just get out the way. When we become less, he becomes more. Right? You got to nail it down that Jesus is the ultimate great. There is none greater than Jesus. He is already at 100% greatness. That will never change. Jesus is great, period. The joy and the pleasure we have is that we get to experience him becoming greater and greater to us. It's as if we live our lives and we lay our lives down. And in doing that, we get to experience more of his greatness. And we get to grow in the greatness of Jesus. And it's funny how when you do that, it makes you want to be less of you. Right? Because the closer I am to Jesus, the more I realize it's not about me. It's about him and it's about his kingdom. And that's what John was telling his disciples. I am not the Messiah. Your kids need to see you fail. Honestly. They need to see you fail. So that they can see you get back up. Amen? They need to see you lose it every once in a while. So that they can see you get it back again. When's the last time you repented to your kids? Pastor Bubba told me one time, he said, he said, I I was struggling with losing it on one of my kids who's sitting in the front row. And I just told him I was struggling. I said, man, of God, I just, every time we're doing something, I just, I lose it. And he's like, have you repented to him? I'm like, well, I said, I was sorry. He said, no, but have you repented? I said, well, Yeah. He said, well, you need to repent and then you need to get him to pray for you. Huh? So, yeah, you need to get him to, re- to pray for you. I was like, wow, that's different thinking. Get my son to pray for me. It doesn't seem right, does it? Kind of seems out of order. I'm the one that's supposed to be doing all the praying. I'm the man of the house. They need to see you get back up. And in seeing you get back up, they get to see Jesus being greater in your life. I don't want to be the perfect parent. I'll do my kids a big injustice if I become the perfect parent. I want to shoot for perfection. The Bible says I'm being perfected. But I don't want to act like I never fall, like I never struggle. Because I want my kids to see that when they get out on their own and they stumble and fall, I want to know that they were taught how to get back up and how to make things right and how to let Jesus be greater. Amen. I don't want to hold that back from them. Right. So let me give you three points real quick. Then we'll end this up. Being less about me and more about Jesus means that, number one, I lose my focus. (laughs) You need to lose your focus. Hebrews 
2.2 says that let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on who? And not on who? Why fix your eyes on Jesus? Hebrews tells us because he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. We all want to be better Christians, right? We all want to be stronger Christians. We all want to be closer to Jesus, don't we? I believe that about most of us. I don't have to do a survey. I just believe that's something that we all want to be. We want to be the best that we can be and represent Jesus right, right? How you do that is by fixing your eyes on Jesus and not on yourself because he's the author of your faith. He wrote the book of faith and he's the perfecter of your faith. Amen? I got to lose my focus. I got to take my focus off of me. You know, us preachers, we love to hear people come up after service. Man of God, that was a good word. Oh, man, you brought the house down. Or, oh, pastor, you spoke to me. Oh, did you talk to my husband? Did you know I was going through that? Oh, man. I listen, I love to hear that. So you can line up after service and just give me all I want, okay? And my cup will be full. But the honest truth is, is it ain't got anything to do with me. Amen? Because the simple truth is, is I'm learning while I'm preaching. So I got to be humble. I just get to be the big bald-headed goofy one that stands up and tells you about it while he's learning about it and walking through it. I'm studying the message last night, and I, I, I end up having to confess to my wife. Okay, this is how my studies go. I study the message for today. I end up confessing to my wife I've done something stupid. Or I'm, I'm going through something, and I repent to God, and my time gets spent in repentance to God because of what I'm trying to teach you on Sunday. Pray for me. I need your help. So number one, we got to lose our focus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. The Bible also says to keep your mind on things above where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. You need to be heavenly minded, even though you're in an earth suit. Amen. You need to know that your business is for Jesus. Your relationships are for Jesus. Your marriage is for Jesus. Your children are for Jesus. Amen. The grocery store that you shop at, the people you see are for Jesus, not for you. And if you'll keep your mind where it's supposed to be, you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You'll hear him speak to you. He'll be able to lead you and you'll be able to minister to people like you never even could have planned or imagined. Amen. You want to change the world around you? Focus on Jesus. Keep your mind on things above where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. Listen to me, I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy because I struggle with it myself. I told you already, I love to think about Jamie. I'm my best thought. <laughs> you're laughing at me, but you, hopefully you're laughing at yourself. It's just a lot of me to think about. But if I keep my mind on things above, so how do you do that? How do you, how do you change your focus and how do you keep it there? I'm glad you asked that question. That's why it's important to read your Bible daily. Amen. 
That's why it's important to be diligent in the word of God. You need to be a student of God's word because you need to constantly tell yourself what he thinks about you. Come on, because you got a whole world telling you what you're not. But you stay in the word to hear what he has to say about you. You need to pray. A regular devotional time of prayer where you just pray daily. Last night I sent my kids to bed. I, I pray, we pray for them every night. And, and I sent them to bed and I said, hey, look, I want you to do this. I just want you to pray till you fall asleep. Okay. Did I say that? Virginia came back with some note for me and said, am I going to embarrass you? Okay. She came back with a note that said, Daddy, I felt like I was supposed to pray for somebody and God gave me a name to pray for. So I'm praying for them. She wrote me a note and just slipped it in there while I was repenting to God. I'm like, man, isn't that so good? It blesses my heart. So we got to change our focus. Stay in God's word. Stay in prayer. Stay in fellowship with other believers. The Bible says to do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says we need to fellowship. Do you know God is excited about today? You didn't get that. God is excited because his kids are all in one house. Amen. That's what worship is about. That's why we come to church. It's not to hear Pastor Jamie give this super incredible word and you take four pages of notes and go home and your life's changed. It's not about that. It's about being around one another. Why do we meet on Wednesday nights? To get more of that fellowship. Why do we believe in life groups? To break it down a little bit and have a little smaller fellowship so that we can get open and honest and transparent with one another and really get some help. That's where the meat is put on the bones. You with me? Why do we have children's church? Because we want kids to learn how to fellowship at an early age. I told you we're in the business of brainwashing kids. Right? God loves for his people to fellowship. So you need to be in the word. You need to pray and you need to fellowship with other believers. You need to plant yourself into a church and say, this is my church and I'm not moving until God moves me. Amen. Number two. What does it mean to to be less of me? I lose my stuff. Oh, y'all going to love this one. I lose my stuff. Say stuff. You know, Solomon, he was the wealthiest person on the planet. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 510. He said, whoever loves money. Never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Wow. Why is it so easy to get wrapped up in stuff? Somebody please give me the answer. (laughs) Because there's just so much stuff out there, right? My wife's learned not to send me to Walmart to go shopping. I blow the budget and I come back with way too much sweets. Because they start speaking to me when I'm in the store. The little Debbie Isle just starts singing this sweet little melody. And Oh, Jamie's in the house. Come see us. We're over here. 
Here I am, I'm coming. <laughs> Can I be honest and say I love stuff? I really do. I want the latest and greatest. I get excited about new things. You want to hear something sad? I've got a 2012 Ford F-150 loaded to the gills, okay? I, I didn't, wasn't even looking for that kind of a truck. I, I was looking for a stripped-out XLT, and this one just kind of fell into my lap, and I got it for a great price. And it's, but it's a 2012, had a few miles on it, like 16,000 miles. And so I'm like, man, the Lord is so good, man. He blessed me with this truck. Wow. And it's everything I would have ever wanted if I had an unlimited amount of money. You know what I find myself doing? I'm driving down the road and I see a 2013. And they changed the grill. Just a little minor change. But I'm like, man, that grill looks good. I wonder if that grill will fit on my truck. I wonder how much that grill costs. Man, my truck could look like a 2013 if I just had that grill. Any of you suffer with that? Not directly. Well, it's okay. But we just want stuff, right? And it's never good enough. And if we're not careful, stuff gets in the way of Jesus. Amen? There's nothing wrong with having stuff. As long as you keep it in its place. I believe that God's blessed me with what I have. And he's given it to me out of the goodness of his heart because he loves me and he wants me to have great things. I'm his representative on this planet and he wants me to look great. So he gives me these things, but I got to be careful not to let these things become my God. Amen. I need to lose my stuff. And then number three. Let me give you a verse before we leave that one. Matthew 6, 24 says that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm teaching my son, Ethan. He's been working with me, and, and he's got a little, little change in his pocket. And so it was time to tithe. And so I was, we were driving to work, and I'm like, hey, bud, listen, I want to talk to you about this money. I said, have you tithed yet? Because he knows the basic principles of tithing. I said, have you tithed yet? And he's like, well, no, Dad, I hadn't tithed yet. But he was hustling his sister to iron his clothes and spending his money already. And so I was like, listen, the first thing. So I went to this whole spill. And I was able to teach him about tithing and about money. And I told him, I, I told him a, a, a thing. I said, son, I never had what you and I are having right now. I said, but you see, and I grabbed his money. And I made him take his tithe out. And I said, this is for Jesus. This is for God. This comes out first before anything else. The very first thing you do is you give God his portion. I said, in this, you have the right to spend it any way you want to. It's your free right. And I talked to him about how some people choose to live at zero. As soon as they get money, they spend money. And some people choose to live with a little bit extra. Right? And I said, if you're smart with this, you can make this work for you. So I'm teaching him that money is a tool, not a God. Right? You make this, and then you make this work for you. You with me? Told you, we're brainwashing kids. I wish I would have had that. Man, nobody taught me that. And he's, he's listening to me, and he's going, okay, Dad. Oh, that's good. All right. Well, he didn't say that's good, but I, I heard him think that. And... <laughs> You know, I just love the way my kids listen to me when I preach to them. 
This makes me feel good. Sometimes I ad lib, but <laughs> I just want them to to not make stuff a God. So in doing that, I got to guard my own heart and not let stuff become my God and then become a hypocrite where I'm preaching to them about it. But I'm living a different story. Right. You got to be careful with that. So number three is I need to lose my life. Number one, I need to lose my focus. My focus needs to be on Jesus. Number two, I need to lose my stuff. I need to keep it in its proper place. Number three, I need to lose my life. Matthew 10, 39 says that whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You got to lose your life for his sake. You see, the only way Jesus ever becomes greater to you is when you become less. And you really start forgetting you. Well, there's a world of people out there telling you, you need to take care of yourself. And I believe that. There's a time for rest. There's a time for recovery. There's a time for redemption and God to rebuild you. I mean, Jesus took a break. God took a break. We all need to take a break and we do need to take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that you don't, you just neglect yourself, but I'm telling you that we make too much of ourselves and our feelings, right? And sometimes we want to fight for our life when people come against us, right? If we become less, he becomes more. You remember the story of the disciple that, or the guy that wanted to come and be Jesus' disciple? He says, Master, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have dens and and so on and so on. He says, I don't have any place to lay my head. Are you sure you want this? Are you sure you want this life of dying to yourself? See, Jesus isn't like most churches in America today where they tell you that once you get saved, everything's going to be fine. Jesus was like, I'm going to tell you the truth from the get-go. You sure you want to come to me? Because there's no beds. There's no covers. You may miss a couple days of eating. You may have to cut somebody's ear off. Right? We may have to walk through a field and pick something to eat on Sunday. He made it plain and clear. He says, you're going to have to die. The rich young ruler didn't want to give up what he had to follow after Jesus. He left sad. Can I just tell you that anything I have ever given up in my life, God has replaced it tenfold. I've given up relationships with people that I love that were bad influences on me. And God has replaced it with better relationships. I've given up stuff. I've given cars away. I've given up things. I've I've given away. And God always gives back more. You cannot outgive God. And the more I lay my life down, the more I get to take up his. Man, that's so good. To have a great marriage, I got to lay my life down. Amen. It's got to be less about me. So many times in marriage, we want we want to just fix the other person. Well, Cheryl, if you'll get your junk straight, then I'll make it easier for me to get my junk straight. Right. But that's not the truth. The truth is, is if I take care of my junk and she'll take care of her junk, then we put our junk together in a merry old way. Right. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. Either that or you're embarrassed. 
You shouldn't be embarrassed. I've said worse things than that. But you know where it's ingrained in our minds, even as kids, that second place is not good. Right? Second place just means, I've seen bumper stickers, second place just means you're the first loser. (laughs) We hate to lose, don't we? We hate to give up. We hate to let go of what we work for. Right? Man, God gives you the freedom to build something with your hands and you build this thing. If it's a business or a a home or a a relationship and you build this thing like he he shows you to build it. Man, it gets nice and pretty and it kind of looks like Abraham and, and Isaac where he finally gets what he wants. And then God says, go put him on the altar. And then God says, I want you to lose yourself. I want you to let go of this thing. The question is, are you going to do it? Because if you do, if you do lay it down, if you do lay your life down and all the things that you've accomplished in your life, if you lay those things down, he will become greater to you. Amen. I want as much of Jesus as I can stand. But there's got to be less of me and more of him. Right. Isaiah 49, 15 says this, and I'm going to end this here. He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. Is God's words to us. I will never forget you. He says, unless I be lifted up. Or he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If we'll get into the business of lifting Jesus up, we'll see all men being drawn to him. And the cool thing is they get to come via us. Amen. So let's make him greater. Let's make him greater and let's become less. Can we do that? Thank you for that good heartfelt response. I'm thinking about starting my message over. Can we do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to be like John and see Jesus become greater and greater and you become less and less? It's a hard thing to do to become less. But in my own experience, any time that I've given up anything, I've lost my life and I've changed my focus. God has more than filled me than he ever has before. My cup's full. When life seems empty, it's funny how I always end up repenting for being prideful and arrogant and selfish. Isn't it funny how the two always go together? Emptiness in me. Fullness in Jesus. I want this void inside of me to just be filled with his presence. I want to be in his presence all day. I want to I keep my mind on things above. I want to keep my focus where it belongs. Just got to get me out the way. Amen. So I just want you to do something this morning. Just right where you are, just where you're sitting. I just want you to open your hands up. I just want you to say things like this. Just say, Lord, thank you for this word. I received this word. Lord, just, just fill me up, Father. You may need to repent. You may need to say, Lord, it's not about me. And I'm so sorry for making it about me. 
Forgive me, Father, for making it about me and not about you. Because I'm on this planet for you and not for me. Lord, help me to live a life that that just screams, Jesus is greater. Help us as a church, Lord, to just proclaim and testify about you, Jesus, just like John did to his disciples. That, Lord, we begin to just set the record straight. That it's not just sweet old Jesus, uh, the, the Lamb of God, that just, you know, he's, he's sweet and when you need him, you can come run to him. That, Lord, we'll start testifying that he's the greatest. There's none greater than Jesus. And, Lord, we'll just begin to open our mouths like John the Baptist did, Lord. And we'll just set the, set the record straight that, Lord, there's none greater than you. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It's a gift from God. Lord, help us to testify and to proclaim your name and to proclaim your greatness on this planet, Lord. Help us to be a church that does that. Help us to reach this region, Father. And as we lift you up, you'll draw all men to yourself. Help us, Lord. We love you, Father. Forgive us for our selfishness and our pride of life. Our lust of the flesh and the eyes. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be like John the Baptist. Help us to prepare the way for you, Jesus. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.